for you. Steve, I thought you were feeling well, Mr. Dance in the studio. Hey. All right now. That just is what it is. Get you ready? Get you going? Yeah, we got, we got What's Jerry come on the show. <laughs> How am I going to be excited? We got Jerry come on the show. I'm amped now. I'll be good for the next 20 minutes, and I'll go back to my demise. Okay. Well, let's bring him on then. <laughs> Jerry Thornton, what's going on? Back to Barstool hey Sports you are. Great. Yeah, let's let's be honest. There wasn't one of us that wasn't playing air guitar during those rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Thank you. Well, mine is way better than yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Jerry, how's the uh, transition back to Barstool been for you? Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, you know, the the stool population tends to have kind of a love hate thing going with the with the writers. You know, I'd, I've been away from that culture for a couple of years, and in the meantime, I've done a uh, you know a podcast with you know Jared Carabas and a couple of the other guys, and they talked about just the level of hostility they face. And weirdly, since I got back, it's been nothing but people throwing you know roses at my feet. It's been weird. Like, how, how does that work? Oh. Uh, it's been hard to leave the the, the radio. Um, you know, to do four hours a day. I, I imagine you know you guys love it as much as I do. And, you know, for instance, the Chris Sale news break, 15 minutes before we'd be going on the air, and I'm listening to the guys I used to work with talk about it, and I'm, like, at my dining room table blogging about stuff by myself. <laughs> it's weird. Like, you, just, <laughs> you want that. But, but having said that, it's all positive. Uh, I, I do miss the, the radio part, but that'll be coming with Barstool soon enough, you know, between uh, we're going we're to be starting up a podcast and, uh, in the meantime, they, they went to Sirius XM radio for two hours every day. That's going to start right after the new year. So there'll be opportunities. In, the, in a nutshell, it's, it's been a great uh, transition, and I, I'm happy I made the choice. Uh, Jerry, before we get to the Patriots game, I want to ask you about Chris Sale because I know you're a very opinionated man, um, and a lot of people are kind of back and forth on whether they like it because of the prospect situation. Most people are obviously in favor of this. What, what do you make of that whole prospect argument of, oh, we need to keep the prospects to build for the future, even though they just got one of the best pitchers in the game? Yeah, look, I'm not in favor of just, you know, unwittingly just draining the farm system for nothing, but this is Chris Sale. <laughs> and these people who instantly fall in love with these future guys, I, I call them the prospectors. Like, everything, it's all... They're all chasing gold, and it's all about what's going to happen down the road. It's Chris Hale. You've got him for the next three years at a ridiculously favorable contract. Yeah, it, if you could have gotten him and had to give up, say, Benintendi, given up, you know, Mookie Betts, and we are one of those guys who's actually going to be, you know, contributing on the roster next year, that would be a tough call. This is not a tough call for me. This is, if Dombrowski didn't trade these guys, and even if they turn out to be what we thought they were going to be, you know, even if Moncada turns out to be an MVP candidate and, and uh, what's his name, the pitcher turns out to be a top-of-the-rotation starter for somebody, this is still a good trade, and we don't know that they're going to be that. So if I'm John Henry and Dombrowski says, yeah, I turned down that deal because of how much potential we would have had to give up, I think I would have fired him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of the the sale deal, um, yep. I just wanted to ask you, do you think the fact that now they have a bona fide ace at the front of this rotation, it's really going to help David Price sure. calm down and kind of just realize that, hey, I can go pitch my game, and a lot of people are going to you know, forget about him a little bit just because they got sale, and sale's the top-of-the-line rotation guy. But it, it sure can't hurt. 
in, in any way, shape, or form. I, I What I attribute Price's struggles to is the same thing that uh, John Lester went through in um, in Chicago, same thing that Rick Porcello went through here. They, you know, the pitching to the number. It's thinking about the contract and what that does to a guy mentally. Some can handle it, and some just shut it down and say, I got mine, you know, see Josh Beckett's final contract here. Yeah. And other guys, it, it just kind of throws them off their game a little bit. And I, you know, I, I think he adjusted as the season went on. I, I would take second half of the year, David Price, any day of the week and twice on Sunday. The issue with him still exists, and it's real, and that's the postseason thing. So, um, yeah, I, I heard this negative the other day. Uh, now that I get to sometimes listen to the competition, you know, <laughs> the, the, the other station, Boston, that was on opposite us, they were angry about how, well, this puts the pressure on the Red Sox now because they're on the clock. They're on the, this is a caller, and they all agree to him. They're on the clock because they're too good to not win, you know, at least a couple World Series. But, okay, and that's a bad thing how. It's <laughs> like, a good problem to have. Yeah, they're so loaded with talent, there's pressure on them. Well, you would rather have what? There's no talent, so there's zero <laughs> pressure on them. Is that somehow a plus? Yeah, no, this is, uh, this is great every way you slice it. And even though uh, Chris Dale is a nut job, I, I can see that. The stuff about, you know, oh, they won't let my teammates kid around the clubhouse 24-7. What are they doing to us? They're cutting up the uniform. That's insane. And yet he's that level of talent where you put up with the insanity. You know, like, like with David Ortiz. David Ortiz had his, had his foibles, Lord knows, but he earned it. And I've always said it. It's like with Justin Bieber. My problem with him is he doesn't behave well enough for the kind of musician he is. Like, if Eddie Vedder did the things Justin Bieber did, I'd say, well, it's okay, he's Eddie Vedder. Let, let him go nuts. <laughs> let, let him treat people like garbage. He's earned it. So Chris Dale is in that department, and I, I I couldn't feel better about this season. Me too. I'm hyped. Jerry, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Good. So we a picture surfaced this week. I got one more baseball question for you. We went from Fat Pablo to Skinny Pablo. Do you think Skinny Pablo is going to be the real deal and we should trust him at third base this year? It's certainly worth trying to salvage that that contract, but I just caution everybody to take a look at his actual real numbers. He was never a regular season superstar, this guy. I mean, the year before they signed him, he was like 70th in the major leagues in slugging percentage. That's that's about what his ceiling is. Um, having said that, it, his postseason numbers, he turns into regular season Ted Williams. I mean, almost exactly the same kind of production, like a 344 hitter, which was Williams' career number. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad to finally see him admit, yeah, I was a, I was a fat load. Like, I, I <laughs> you know. That that can't have been easy for him. We all knew it, but it's just psychically I needed to hear it. Be, instead of this nonsense like, oh, he's got 17% body fat. You know, when I, when I was yeah. at the station, someone came in and measured Christian Fourier, who you, you meet this guy in person, fellas. I'm not predisposed to saying this about another man, but he is a an Adonis. He is a handsome man. <laughs> he was like, I don't know, his was like 20%. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, what? So, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about Pablo only because I'm not expecting a triple crown guy. You know, it's, 
field his position decently. If he can give you 20 homers in, in the high 80s and RBIs, I'll take that production because that's what he is. All right, Jerry, let's get to the fun stuff. Uh, it's Monday Night yeah, Football please. Monday night football tomorrow night, Patriots-Ravens yeah. at Gillette Stadium. Um, obviously, we expect a dogfight. I think there's going to be a lot of animosity going through that, that stadium. And I, I look at tomorrow night's game as a big test for the Patriots because it's a team, yeah, the Ravens aren't 100% amazing this year, but it's always a team that comes in here and just destroys the Patriots' confidence for some reason. They, they're not afraid to come in here. Terrell Suggs leads that team in here every year, just energy-wise, uh, that sort of thing. And do the Patriots really need to develop a run game tomorrow night, or can they just be pass-happy and just depend on Tom Brady to lead them to a, a big win on Monday Night Football? Yeah, guys, it's interesting because, you know, in a post-Pate Manning world, Baltimore is really the closest thing the Patriots have to an actual rival, you know, where it's, there's, there's a history there and there's bad blood, and I, I, I personally hate them with the white-hot intensity of a thousand pizza ovens. <laughs> uh, I wrote a thing on Barstool the other day, 10 Things I Hate About You, the Ravens, only because, you know, I just want to stick to the movie title. I could have gone on all day. I could have listed 100 things. Not the least of which is they are patient zero of the Deflategate myth. They're the ones who started it. It has nothing to do with the Quell Jackson or the Colts intercepting a pass and saying, hey, this ball feels kind of squishy, and then the league looking into it. No, no, the Ravens started this because they were so butthurt about the way the Patriots outfoxed them in that, in that divisional round game. Now, as far as this game goes, yeah, I, I think you have to just assume it's going to be an alley fight. You know, it's going to be fought with trash can lids and broken bottles because that's how those games go. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence the Pats will be able to run the ball. I, I, I think checking down to the backs is going to be their kind of thing. We, we only saw, I think, one play last week of Deion Lewis and James White out there together. And I, I think in a post-Gronk world, that is a, a terrific way to you know set up the, the offense, you know, create mismatches and so on. This is a good Baltimore defense. They're, they're top five in the league in, mm-hmm. in every category which is a tribute to them. It's kind of their, their DNA because there's only three guys left from the 2012 championship defense, and they're still good. Their problem is the other side of the ball. You know, they're, they're, they have no run game. Justin Forsett was a one-hit wonder. He, he was the Dexie's midnight runner of, of running backs, and now they're scrambling, and, and they, they've really got, you know, Terrence West is their leading back. And they're seeing what happens when you try to make Joe Flacco be the guy, which is he's, he's pretty limited. And so uh, I think the Pats will have a real challenge on offense. But if their defense doesn't step up and, and shut these guys down, I'm going to be livid. <laughs> Do you think, just say the Patriots, can move the ball up and down on this Baltimore defense? Because honestly, <laughs> I mean, everyone's saying in terms of best defenses, they'll face um, the regular season. Everyone's saying, Denver, I think the Baltimore defense might give them a tougher test. Do you think if they can move the ball up and down and put up some points on the field that this could you know, prove that they can be well without Gronkowski, depending on the health of uh, Martellus Bennett? Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a legit test. The, the, the Denver one, I, I might say, is, is slightly more of a test because it's going to be in their building. So now you're yeah, dealing with true. the noise and, and just the guaranteed weirdness that happens every time you set foot in mile high. There will be a crazy bounce of a ball. There will be someone will have like a, a bad mental yip in the middle of a game, you know, Harper's muff, something like that. Um, so, yeah, this this is a legit test. Uh, 
this is a, a team that's really stout against the run, even though Terrell Suggs has been dealing with some uh, with some some biceps issues. Um, I, I feel like the Patriots are going to have extra motivation because of again the the aforementioned Deflategate nonsense, which John Harbaugh started because he's a sore loser and a punk and a whiny crybaby. <laughs> I, I don't like the man in case I, I haven't like really. I, 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 I never would have guessed you didn't like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. couldn't could have made yeah. that connotation. Again, you know that that whole thing when Brady said, "I don't know, read the rule book," and that was treated like like it was a trigger word. Like if Harbaugh was on a college campus, they'd be giving him a comfort pug and some crayons. <laughs> <laughs> read the rule book. It was in the rules, and then Harbaugh's immediate response is to go to the league and have the rules committee overturn oh the rules so you can't do those very legal like formations, the, and then ran his own version of them of the following season. He's the new oh. rendition of Jim Mersey. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if you can't you can't beat the Patriots. They try something new. You get mad. You go to the committee. You try to change it. It was ridiculous. He, he, started, he, he started pretty much all of that, and then, like you said, he picked up right after he left, and he started using that the next year. Yep. Isn't that insane? And then, you know, let's not forget 2011, the championship game, where his kicker wasn't prepared. He was warming up about 45 yards up the field, and when they bring him in, he shanks the kick, and Harbaugh said, oh, the scoreboard uh, wasn't showing the, the proper down. I will two things about that, Johnny. One, in order to keep track of what down it is, it requires a grown man to count to three. Second, there are guys standing there, NFL employees, who also operate the scoreboard, but other NFL employees are standing there with a stick in their hands with a number on top that tells you what down it is. Look at them. But no, it's never him. It's never, I didn't coach well enough. It's, it's the Patriots, the Cheatriots, and they're always up to something. So, believe me, this is one of those games, guys, where I, it's not enough to beat them. I want the, the obligatory Brady FU touchdown at the end of the game, which we haven't seen this year. You know, they've been taking a knee in other teams' red zones at the end of the game. But this is one of those ones where you you got to stick the dagger and give it a twist. Well, you might actually see that, too, because now you have a tough stretch of games coming up, so it makes sense. Like, this is this is a tough stretch coming up for them, so it would I would love to see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, when you looked at the schedule the day it came out, you were looking at these couple of games in, in particular and said, okay, those are going to be tough ones. And, you know, Baltimore's not, you know, powerhouse per se, but I mean, you know, for a team that's last in the league in offensive touchdowns, the fact that they're first place in their division says that there's a toughness to them, and they've got the best kicker in football, so if the Patriots aren't getting in the end zone, if they're stalling out like they did last week, and you're relying on Gus Kowski to outkick Justin Tucker, that's, that's, that's going to be a tough game, so it's, it's very much going to come down to red zone offense, but then again, how, what most football comes down to. All right, so in hindsight, now that uh, Jamie Collins has been off the team for, yeah. I believe, four games now, uh, in the eight games uh, yeah. with Jamie Collins on the team, the team had a total of 13 sacks. Four games without Jamie Collins, the team has 13 sacks, which is the third most in that span. Do you think Bill outsmarted all the fans again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an in-Bill-we-trust guy. It, it doesn't mean, like, you know, he's the Pope. There's no papal infallibility uh, doctrine to, to here, too. I mean, he makes mistakes, too. I, I think with regards to Collins, it, we have to accept that the only reason he would make that trade wasn't to get back value, because he would have gotten the same if he let him play out the string and, and just walk. 
I think it's because he, he felt the defense would be better without this guy, whether it was the freelancing thing or just lack of effort or the up-and-down performance. I think he just said he was losing his defense like he did in 2009. And i I gotta, I got to wake these guys up, and I'm going to, you know, I would rather have a Landon Robert in there, a trade for a Keith Van Noy and somebody that I can depend on. Um, as far as the defense in, in general goes, last week, was to me, and you can you can shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, but it's just the Rams. It doesn't mean anything. Well, it means something. How much it means remains to be determined, but they played a different style, fellas. They attacked. It wasn't that passive sitting back, you know, giving these guys this six-yard cushion. A lot was made out of the drops by the Rams receivers, but that's because the Patriots were popping them as soon as they touched the ball. They, they you know, attacked up front. I look back at the first play of the second half, and they had them pinned back in, in, in Rams territory. And Chris Long, his leg was twitching like like a greyhound at the start, waiting for the, for the race to begin. <laughs> um, they, they forced a, a false start penalty by the Rams because they were in that aggressive attack mode. And I think if they can continue that, if Matt Patricia can take them off the leash, and let them start going after people instead of the sit back and you know this memory soft foam you know cushy defense that they've been playing. Then I think they can play well against anybody, and that's why this is such a huge test for them to see if that St. Louis game was transitional or if it was just a blip against a crappy team. All right, Jerry Thornton, Barstool Sports. Uh, Jerry, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, we'll talk to you soon and enjoy the game, of course. I hope so, guys. Thanks for having me on. Let's let's do this again, real absolutely. Time. Yeah, Thank you, thanks, Jerry. All right, again, Jerry Thornton, uh, now of Barstool Sports once again. Uh, Sunday sit-down, ESPN Hampshire, we come back. Uh, touch on the Bruins, because there's one guy who's been lighting it up for this team, and I think it, there's a trend here with what the Bruins have done with guys like this, so I want to talk about that next. Uh, ESPN New Hampshire, Sunday sit-down.